Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, the podcast for writers who strive to be bold and readers who crave something new. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I want to thank you for being here, and I want us to stay in touch. So subscribe to this podcast, then go to writingtherongway.com and enter your best email to receive the Martian Embassy Missive, my bi-weekly newsletter where I let you know what's happening on Mars, where we're always making big plans. Join the Martians so you don't get left out of the invasion at writingtherongway.com. And as a special bonus, I'll send you a free book. Speaking of books, my new book is called The National Gallery, and it contains sonnets about Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, elegies lamenting the death of my iPhone, and other strange missives from yours truly, the Poet Laureate of Hell. Visit thenationalgallery.ca to order your signed copy. That's thenationalgallery.ca. I'm talking to Jordan Patrick Finn, and Jordan is the author of Hellcraft, a comic uh, what would you call it, an anthology almost? But it follows a single character. Uh, yeah, it's a collection of, of four issues. I call it a graphic novel just because that's easier for people who like who don't really know comics just to get into what it is. Sure, and it does have a, a flow from like one issue to the next. Although they're self-contained stories, they, are, they do sort of build on each other. So it, I think it does kind of work as a graphic novel as well. Yeah, uh, I think so too. I, I, I definitely wrote the first couple as like standalones, but I mean, there are definitely connecting threads and stuff. Now, I'd like to come back and talk more about Hellcraft a little later, but first I want to just talk about the new thing you've got coming out, um, Death Kanji. So I was wondering if you could tell us just a little bit more about yourself and how you kind of got into comics writing uh, and about this project Death Kanji and uh, what we can expect from it. Uh, okay, sure. About myself, there's not too much to tell, but basically I got into comics just from the way that I think everyone would, reading reading big two books and just wanting to do it myself, and then uh, following advice of creators online and interviews and convention panels and stuff that I saw was just, just do it. Like, just make a comic. Like, there's no other excuses. If you want to make comics, the way to do it is to make comics. So that's I just took that advice and just did that. Now, just let, found, me, let me just stop you there for one second because I do hear this a lot, and I do think it is good advice. But also, uh, I think, like myself as a writer who's moving into comics, I think there's an easy objection, and there is an easy reason not to do it, which is you're a writer. Um, so can you get a little bit into like how you overcame the fact that you're not the artist? And it's uh, comics. <laughs> I absolutely can. Yeah, I just went online just to find artists. Basically, I, I saved up enough money and, and shopped around for rates and spoke to a couple artists and found one that I thought would suit the project pretty well and that I could afford his page rate and just went from there. Because, yeah, like you said, writers, it, it's harder for a writer to just decide to do it because you need to pay somebody to do it. Um but yeah, it, I just got a, a little extra cash and uh, invested in myself, I suppose. So what led you to that point? Because I find that a lot of people will talk about doing that, but they won't take that step, especially when money is involved and they, and they, they really do have to pay somebody. If they want a, you know, a, some good quality art, it's not that nobody would do it for free, but the people who would do it for free generally can't, you know, they, they can't afford to do it for free because they're busy with other things. Um, so I'm just curious to know, like, what got you to that point where you really had just the drive to do it as opposed to what so many people do, 
which is which is think, about, think it about it and think about it and talk yeah. about it like what kind of made the difference for you because i find that that's an interesting question to me when i meet people whether they're emerging or established or whatever they are in their career there's just this difference between the people who are just talking and talking and talking about all the things they're going to do and the people who are actually out there doing something good or bad you know what have you uh, but they're actually taking that leap which is not a small leap uh, well, thanks for saying so. <laughs> um, I, I honestly don't know what pushed me over. I was just at the time I was writing um, sort of fan scripts or ideas for for Marvel stuff. I really, really wanted to write like certain Marvel books like the Inhumans. I was like, oh, my God, I have such a good Inhuman story to tell. And then I just thought I've never like I'm not going to get hired by Marvel to write the Inhumans because I've never written anything ever before. So uh, I don't know. I just, I just thought of ideas of my own, my own characters, my own worlds, my own stories to tell, and uh, it just, it was just eating me up inside. I suppose that's kind of the answer. I just had to get them out. Do you know what I mean? Where some people will sit on the stories and be like, I want to, I want to, I, I had to. Like I, I had felt a compulsion and a drive to, to actually get a comic made and to see words that i put down become images by someone who can draw that's not me um so i don't have a concrete answer for you on that question but uh yeah it's an interesting uh way to put it you know you kind of had to and you had this maybe obsessiveness about it perhaps because of so much of the stuff you've done uh ties into lovecraft uh, in a certain way but also maybe more pointedly into that sort of obsessive character you know that so often populates the lovecraft story where this person just is sort of there's a they have an inkling of a thing that's out there that they could connect into um and they have a drive sort of towards it whether they understand it or not uh, and they're making these sorts of moves so i think it's just interesting to kind of um, you know, see that now in Lovecraft, of course, it, it always ends badly. <laughs> well, <laughs> Whereas, in my books, it it might end badly too. <laughs> um, but hopefully, you know, for you as a person in the as world, a person, you yes, know, it'll, it'll, it is ending well. Um, I, so let's maybe just fast forward to Death Kanji a bit, though, uh, before yeah. we kind of come back to that earlier stuff. So, can you tell us a little bit about Death Kanji and like what that story is and uh, and what else you know and yes. how we could get connected to it of course yeah well as you've alluded to um my work is is definitely inspired by lovecraft i, I kind of ate from his his work a lot and death kanji is certainly no exception it it's um i like to think of it in my head is as calling it an adaptation of the dunnage horror as much as maybe um a movie like annihilation is an adaptation of the color out of space Do you know what i mean where it kind of sort of is it's using elements of that story but it's telling its own story um so that that sat in my head for a couple years mostly the way that i write comics because i've only made like a couple um is i i have the ideas and i jot them all down in my notes and then after they sit there for a year i go okay this is the one i pick one idea so death kanji was one out of like a bunch of different books that i that i thought i could make and after the success of Hellcraft, uh, a year before I was writing Death Kanji, it, it, Hellcraft raised uh, $5,000 Canadian on Kickstarter. Um, so I, I figured, okay, I want to make Death Kanji. I know this is the story I want to tell. And I know that I can 
do a Kickstarter successfully. I know that it's possible for me to raise money on Kickstarter. So that is my plan for Death Conchi, which will be launching on Kickstarter uh, July 13th. That's 2020 is the year that this podcast is being recorded. Um, so, yeah, that's <laughs> that's where that's going to be and where it can be found. Uh, I don't have a Kickstarter like preview page or anything up yet, but I mean, my Twitter is where I post all of my own news, basically, which is at Jordan P. Finn, if anybody is interested in this book. And Finn, of course, is with two ends. Um, yes. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the story uh, of Def Kanji? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Sorry. So the story is, is it's about this samurai, and it's about his quest for knowledge, as you were referring with Lovecraft's characters, having this drive or pursuit to find information. Um, so it's about this this samurai being tasked by his his lord to find information about the lord's family and his heritage. So he has to go out and and look for for clues and information. It's about whether the search for knowledge maybe is not always a good thing, and you might not always like what you find. Um, it's also about sort of the duty that he has as a samurai, because that really fascinated me about uh, this this feudal Japanese system of, of how their code of honor interacts with with each other, how the samurai has to interact with the people around him because of his code, and uh, what might cause him to break that in terms of what information he finds. It's interesting to tie up uh, samurai and Lovecraft and kind of make that connection, because using a samurai character that has that sort of sense of duty as you say the duty to act in certain ways yes and in certain respects and along a certain path is very much the precise type of character that is missing in the lovecraft story like in in lovecraft you so often have these characters who are just witnesses you know they're pursuing knowledge they're pursuing knowledge they get the knowledge yes there's a lot of reaction there's a lot of reaction and passiveness and kind of witnessing as and and the stories often just sort of fizzle out in a yeah, certain Yeah, they just respect. end with the character finds finds something out and it just ends. They're and like, okay, we're doomed and there's nothing we're going to do about it. Yeah, and, and not necessarily that, you know, I mean, you, you haven't taken, without getting into details, I mean, you haven't taken into a, this Marvel, big DC, big two kind of arena where, you know, now he's going to go save the universe <laughs> oh no 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 or it's definitely like, like can't you even do anything about it uh, probably not but like but if you feel the need to act in some way what do you do mm -hmm. in when that situation arises and how does one deal with that uh sense of necessity the necessity exactly. for action as opposed to the kind of lovecraftian you know uh, I'm a just a scientist, you know. I, I, you know, I just report on the facts of the universe and exactly. the neutrality. Yeah. I just uh, write down all the things that I don't want anyone ever else yeah. to know, other than me. Yeah. Exactly, as if that was a great idea. Yeah. If only, hopefully, nobody writes this down. Is my favorite you know, trope <laughs> exactly. in the Lovecraft story. Although I'm I a love, great admirer yeah. of Lovecraft. So and as are you. So so, what is it Clearly. that attracts you? Of course, to, because not only this Tith Kanji does has this Lovecraftian uh, influence, uh, but of course, Hellcraft is very explicitly set in this sort of Lovecraftian cosmos with this, uh, in some ways, you know, uh, taking and reshaping 
uh, and connecting very clearly into particular Lovecraft, you know, stories yep. and the, in these particular Lovecraft's characters. Uh, unlike in Death Kanji, where you're not really doing that, um, but in Hellcraft you really are. You have kind of this interesting, like, investigator character of your own division device, you know, that and then plugging them that character into sort of this Lovecraftian world. Um, what attracts you or attracted you initially to like the Lovecraft um, cosmos, I guess you'd say, and that whole m- sort of method of producing uh, horror. Um, I think probably the the hopelessness of it is what attracts me most to his his mythology is just that, you know, there are things bigger than humanity, bigger than Earth out there that we can't do anything about. It, it's just it's outside of our ability to comprehend and fathom or to uh, take any action to deal with properly. You know what I mean? So what what would you find interesting? Do you just find that as an interesting uh, aspect, or is there some like particular reason that that uh, interests you? But that is, in some ways, my attraction to Lovecraft as well as this weird sublime quality that the creatures have. Um, yeah. And, and the way there's just this, um, I don't know. It, it's a very interesting and 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 I, I'm also a big admirer of Ligotti, uh, and Ligotti is very you know tapped into that same sort of vein of um there's a certain you know absurdity and hopelessness in the scenario which is interesting uh yeah so (laughs) sorry what's exactly the question i guess like the question is like uh, is there is there something else in particular that kind of takes you uh it keeps you like so interested in lovecraft Uh, because in some ways what you're doing the death kanji is really departing from the as i say the lovecraftian mold as well uh, again, with this character who sort of has this duty to take an action as opposed to yeah. just observe. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad you think so, because uh, as I wrote it, I became very worried that I was just becoming too one note doing another sort of Lovecraft sort of thing with my with my second book. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I was very, very attracted to that that hopelessness, that despair. I guess I'm sort of accidentally a pessimist now. Um uh, partially because of Lovecraft. Um, but that's, that's what really got me into his work some years ago when I decided to start writing Hellcraft, which was 2012 or something. Uh, I was very sort of new to the mythos at that time and super, super attracted to it. And I still am. I'm still very much a Lovecraft fan. Um, but I, I do like the idea of, uh, growing past that a little bit. Have you, uh, and what kind of led you to the, uh, the samurai in particular? You know, what what about that kind of type of story and his sort of you know tropes? Did you feel uh, was it interesting or attractive to you? Uh, I think it was the uh, Kurosawa films. Uh, at the time that I was inspired to write Death Kanji, uh, there was uh, I think there was a free month or something of the Criterion Channel new streaming service. So I got that and just watched all the Kurosawa movies on there. And uh, just watching all of those and also going and sitting down and reading more Lovecraft short stories just sort of uh, slammed together in my in my brain uh, subconsciously and Death Kanji came out. You know, it's interesting to me to look at Death Kanji personally as a massive, you know, fan of Lovecraft and somebody who studied horror 
know, like in university and taught horror classes. But also back in my, you know, misspent youth, uh, I was hired to write four samurai movies, um, you know, and uh, which, you know, never really ended up getting produced necessarily. But um, but I, what I found was so interesting about the samurai story uh, concepts was how malleable and flexible um, that figure was. Like it seems so... Uh, it, it seemed initially when I first was kind of getting into it that this is maybe kind of a one-note thing, the samurai uh, you know, saga kind of storyline. But it really does have a kind of really f- interesting flexibility that, that it, as you have kind of done, allows it to marry up to other things like you know, this Lovecraftian sort of cosmology or whatnot. Well, certainly, yeah, especially in film where where samurai is so uh, close to westerns. Like you could tell mm-hmm. a million different kinds of westerns. Like a cowboy is not one specific thing. It's it goes the same for the samurai. I think. Now, can you talk a bit about when you were making Hellcraft? So you had initially again got to the point where you're out there looking for an artist. What sort of turns you on to uh, the artists that you've managed to find for these projects? And, uh, like, what was the thing that kind of attracted you about their artwork in particular? Um, difficult question to answer. Um, the biggest attractor for me was that he was Canadian, actually. Uh, I guess I'm a bit of a patriot. I like to hire other uh, Canadian creators. It is the same line artist on, on both of these books, on Hellcraft mm-hmm. and of Death Kanji, a guy named Greg Waronchak, uh, who was in Montreal when I hired him. Um, so that was the biggest thing. But then beyond that, he would do his own pencils and inks, which I guess is commonplace now. But when I was looking, there were a lot of pencilers and inkers. I kind of just wanted the smallest team that I could possibly get. So I just wanted one artist. Um, and I felt that he had um, he had enough expressiveness in his faces. I, th- I think the faces that he draws are really excellent when it comes to reactions. You know, when characters are frightened or confused by the things that they're looking at you could see that really really clearly in his line art uh which which was definitely a big seller for hellcraft i I thought that was really important for that book it it, you know he really is an interesting artist and and in death kanji the style is really uh developed in an interesting way Uh, oh certainly uh, and you can you can see that in the hellcraft book basically because i wrote it and he drew it over the course of many different years because it's a it's a four issue collection i would do one in 2012 one in 2014 or whenever it was i forget the dates but you can see definitely the evolution of of his art between those four issues for sure especially when you start getting to the fourth issue and some of the sort of you know know, uh, paneling even in that issue is really impressive and you know uncommon in places yeah definitely and when now in terms of the now were you writing Hellcraft, Hellcraft as well in kind of a Marvel method style script, or did you have more of a traditional full script for that? Uh, for that one, we went back and forth. I did I did a test before the four issues that are collected in Hellcraft. We did a test like uh, ten ten page or eight page just to see how we work together and if Hellcraft would work on a page which I haven't shown basically to anyone because <laughs> that was the first thing I've ever written and it's very bad. Um, but maybe I'll show it one day cause the art's still fine. Um, so with that one, I wrote full script 
because it was my first script, my first time working with the artist, I, I thought that was necessary. And then basically as we decided to move on and write uh, a bigger issues, um, I spoke to him about it. And he, he prefers Marvel method. Some artists that I speak to want full scripts. Uh, Greg always wants Marvel method, which I'm totally comfortable doing uh, basically because I have seen our results because I have seen him work off a full script and I, I'm comfortable with him uh, telling his own sort of, or using his own sort of pacing, not telling his own story, but, but using his own pacing and paneling. Uh, I know that I don't have to worry about that because he's, he's fine at it. Like he, he's good. He's definitely better than me. Do you know what I mean? I feel like artists or writers tend to push uh, their own ideas onto a professional artist when, the artist has the better eye for art. Do you know what I mean? No, I know they, exactly what you mean. <laughs> they they are definitely right more more qualified to, to speak about paneling than I am, without a doubt. Um, so that was the first issue. And then I think the second I went, maybe went back to full script, just, I don't know. It, I wanted to flex my flex my muscles a little and, and full script it and then, I don't know. I, fl- I flopped back and forth. I think third maybe was back to back to Marvel method. Uh, it's difficult to remember. Some pages uh, where I try to get creative with layouts, like in the middle of uh, issue three of Hellcraft, there is this sort of floor plan kind of page sequence uh, where I had to full script that. And an earlier one where they're walking uh, down the stairs into the tomb. Uh, I, I would full script certain pages where I had very, very specific paneling in mind. Uh, but other than that, I, I just stick to Marvel method with Greg and, and he's happy and I'm happy and uh, that works for us. Now we should probably just clarify for people who may don't know what Marvel method is relative oh, to yeah. full script, if you don't mind doing that quickly. Absolutely, I can. Uh, so full script is sort of the the normal way to script a comic where you write, the writer would write down uh, page one, uh, five panels. Panel one, uh, it's a half-page panel, a medium shot of X character, whatever and whatever. Panel two has this, blah, 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 and so on and so on and so on. Uh, where Marvel method is basically, uh, I don't know how everyone specifically does it, but I break it down by page. I say page one, this needs to happen. Page two, this needs to happen. And then the artist takes that and and decides on what the panels are, how many panels are in the page, basically on their own, just by you saying what what needs to happen for the story to work. And then you take that back from them once they've done it and uh, and script it properly for your letterer to say, uh, in in panel one, now this person will say this. Uh, and, and I definitely like that aspect because it lets you sort of react to exactly what the page is exactly what the expression on the character's face is now you can adjust your script and say oh maybe he says it a little differently maybe now he he looks like he's yelling a little more so i need to add an exclamation at the end of this sentence rather than a period so it lets you adjust as you go to to what your artist is drawing can you talk a bit about your compositional strategy in terms of so you have talked a little bit about it but can you just go a bit deeper into like how you would start building up the stories so I, I'm, I myself am kind of thinking about this because I'm writing a book um, with uh, the artist with Gregory Kamichik as the artist and we've got the same letter uh, Linden uh, Redchenka as you're going to be using on Death Kanji if I recall yes. correctly I am yep and uh, so 
I've developed a mad strategy where I first, you know, start to lay out these cue cards. I'm doing like 22 page issues. So I'm kind of laying out cue cards for each page and then, you know, figure out what are my spreads? What are my page turns? What are the big beats like you were talking about almost in like a Marvel method fashion? Then I'm going and writing a full script, sort of a full script, you know, for each page. And then I'm having Lyndon like, you know, put all the text and paneling into in, on blank pages, <laughs> just to kind of illustrate the sort of pacing. Yeah, and then make the sure artist there's not is too many words on the page. Yeah, like it's this weird sort of. I'm paying him a little extra to kind of do this um, extra step of like paneling and and lettering these blank pages. Uh, and then you know the artist is you know he'll go with that or he won't go with that. Is sort of you know the agreement we've got. Um, so it's a very sort of strange and kind of, you know, mad kind of weird combination of like Marvel That's and full screen. Very interesting way to write it, to have the letterer do the panels before the artist gets to it. That's, uh, yeah, that's he's very gonna, unique. He's going to go back and adjust them. But, you know, so yeah, again, I'm paying a little extra for him to do this extra work and stuff. But what, what it's kind of been doing for us is like it gets sort of that sense of what's the pacing I'm kind of thinking through and what's sort of the visual approach I'm kind of thinking of. Um, a bit more concretely even if the artist doesn't want to go in that direction he kind of knows where I'm at because it is also a horror and to me uh, it's so much about tone and atmosphere um, it, more than and the pacing I yeah. feel kind of really pace for that. sure that's what I was going to say pacing mm-hmm. is so so important when it comes to horror it, anyway what I found is like so I'm just you know because comics don't have a standard format in the same way that, say, screenplays do, there's so much flexibility to kind of do a different thing. Like, we have these kind of Marvel and full script we're, we were talking about, but, I mean, there isn't a standardized, you know, template you could buy that is 100% what everybody uses. They're all kind of using these weird ad hoc, v- yeah. vague versions. So, uh, for me, then, that just became, like, my little... Here's my, like, way to... Uh, to, to get this process of scripting to somehow mirror or overcome what I feel is like the you know issues I'm kind of encountering as a writer say so I'm just wondering if there's any like things you were kind of doing as you were like kind of writing your first comics and kind of learning what this medium is in some respects as a writer uh, were there kind of things you found yourself doing or trying or you know just kind of re you know redoing um, that really you know, where either you found a tip that worked or just there was a learning curve you felt you had to get over? Uh, that is a really difficult question. Uh, what was I doing in my early drafts? Um, like what did you changed? find in changing the process? How did I went? change? Um, well, the easy answer is in the first test mock-up of, of the first, like, 10-page Hellcraft story that I told uh, I, I used, um, uh, I'm blanking on the word, basically thought uh, bubbles, captions, sure. uh, narration, and uh, that didn't work. Uh, that was that was too heavy-handed for that story. It was a little too, like, sort of Sin City, you know, the, the guy narrating his, his detective adventure, and I, uh, that, that didn't work for that particular story. Uh, so that that's the easy answer. That's the thing that I changed right away from that. Um, but in terms of process, uh, the other the other toss up answer would be changing from full script to Marvel method. 
where where I thought full scripting was was very important. And uh, the real answer is that it changes depending on who I'm working with. Uh, so if I'm working with Greg, I know that I have to write my script in a certain way for him to get. If I'm working with another artist, I need to probably do a full script depending on what they're asking. And then once I've gotten the pages back and I'm doing my, my lettering script for Linden or on Hellcraft for, for DC Hopkins, um, I need to, well, I like to speak with them and, and ask their formatting preferences. Do you want, <laughs> the old one is, do you want dialogue in all caps, which letterers now just absolutely hate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's speaking to the people that you're working with to make sure that they are getting uh, an easier job that you're not making their job harder by any things that, that you are doing. Now, when it, uh, how did you hook up with Lyndon as a letterer on this uh, new project? Lyndon, again, uh, just because he was Canadian, that, that's what really drove me mm-hmm. to, to be interested in him. I actually don't know how I found him. It was just a, a mutual interaction on Twitter, I think. and uh, Just somebody liked somebody's post and uh, we followed each other. And I asked him about lettering, and, and he gave me a good rate. And I said, you're Canadian. You, you seem good to work with. And he actually, uh, I assume you have the same experience, but he has been an absolute joy to work with. I, I would work with Lyndon again in a heartbeat. He is he is very excited and passionate about the project, which I, I deeply respect and admire. You know, Lyndon has two qualities that I think are essential in somebody who's a letterer. So one is he's absolutely a good letterer. Um, one of the better ones I've seen, actually. But two, he does everything I tell him to do, without <laughs> yeah. complaining or whining about it, or you know, pushing back in a you know some senseless manner. Does that make you know what I mean? Like where sometimes oh, yeah, if you're, yeah. So on one of these death kanji pages, I think I, I kept asking him to to re-letter certain things. I was like, oh, can you move the balloon just a little bit over this way? And he's like, oh, like this, and I'm like. No, that's not really what I meant. Like more kind of over the, and I just kept going and going, and I felt terrible about it. I hate doing that to to a person I'm working with, but he he didn't seem to mind. He was super positive the whole time. Have you ever had to um, have a art page redone? Because I haven't yet had this experience, but I am dreading the day when I get yeah. some. You know what I mean? I'm wondering, like, how if so, you've ever if you've ever had that experience, like how might you have? How did you handle it? I have. Um, I, I dread it too. I feel horrible uh, saying that kind of thing to to an artist. Saying, uh, "Actually, this doesn't work, and you need to do it again." I just I absolutely hate that. Uh, but it has happened. I, I mean, I'm not sure that I should happen. share specifics. Basically, well, I'm just more thinking yeah. about like what's your approach to dealing with the scenario because it is a thing that's bound to I, happen. It doesn't mean the artist is doing anything yeah. wrong necessarily. Yeah, exactly. Either. Exactly. But like, um, my approach, approach is just to be very, very reluctant about it and send that email and say, I'm sorry at the top and then say uh, just just politely. But you have to you have to know that basically it's your vision and you have to do it. Uh, essentially, you can't you can't let these things go. If the story is wrong, it has to be fixed. Now, there there are some things where. If it comes back not the way that I wanted or, or wrong in some respect, I can be like, oh, okay, I can rewrite it. This this can be fine because of working with Marvel method is no problem. I can just change the script. Like, like the script isn't even really written yet, so that's no issue. Um, but you do have to set sort of a standard or, or a line in the sand and say this 
has to be this certain way or the story doesn't work. Um, now, go, go ahead. Now you're talking about your having that vision clear in your head. And I, it, it, it seems to me so much, the more I kind of work in writing comics, and, and this is also, I have more experience in screenwriting. Um, and it's also, I think, true in screenwriting where so much of the job is not producing a literary document. So but a much, blueprint. But right? a blueprint, but also communicating that vision. Like finding ways to communicate that vision to people, and so often when I f- see like a disconnect happening, it's it's usually my fault for not clearly communicating the vision. Uh, and it seems to me like that's an important quality, not just in say somebody's writing a comic book script, but also somebody's going to do a thing like a Kickstarter, like you're doing. Like, uh, so I'm cur- curious to know like what are some of the ways that you've approached or you're planning to approach the Kickstarter. Uh, in terms of how do you really get across, like, here's what it is I want to do in a kind of clear way where people can understand it and they can kind of, you know, see the expansiveness of that vision and, like, the um, uh, the reason, you know, why they might support it, but also, like, just understand clearly what it is. Well, certainly, I think cultural touchstones help with that for me to to be able to say, hey, this is a book that's like Lovecraft a bit and it's like Kurosawa films a bit. That, that kind of communicates really quickly, okay, I have a vision of, of what this thing is. Um, so th- those are easy descriptors to just throw out there, and, and there's an immediate vision of it. Um, so you can use those definitely with, with your creative team uh, before they work on it. And then, like you said, at the Kickstarter, two fans or potential customers and say, these are quick reference points for you to know sort of what it is and and by the time like the kickstarter's up i share all these images so they they have a a direct exact vision of this is what the pages look like this is what the book looks like this is the tone of it this is how many sort of uh dialogue uh captions or not captions of balloons uh that that will be on a page i think that's another very important thing to communicate with with a reader or during or yeah during your kickstarter uh, is the tone of how much writing is this super heavy? Is there a lot of uh, prose? Is there narration? You have to be very clear with with your audience about that, and like you said, with with your artists as well. So you definitely have to get the, all of them on board, uh, which is just communicating the themes. I like to tell the people working on it sort of what the book is about in a broad sense. Other than just specifically the beat by beat, what happens in the story, I want them to know the kind of story that we're telling. You need to know that this is a horror deep down. Because there's a lot of stuff that happens in Death Kanji that's kind of not horror. A lot of it is just sort of general drama. At least I think so. I don't know if you have the same take after reading my script. Um, But you need to know, hey, artists, or hey, color or letter, even though this is just, you know, drama out in the Japanese countryside, this is a horror story. You need to know that while you're drawing it or while you're or doing whatever, just so you can strike that right tone. Well, you've got, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about the details of the story because I'm not sure how you're planning to, you know, convey that. But you do have certain moments in the story and in the script where, you know, at, at an early part of the script, you'll be describing, say, you know, you know this thing and, you know, it looks cute, but remember <laughs> you know, yeah later on we'll just find this other thing out <laughs> and um you know 
I mean, in a script, you can very, it, it is always worth just kind of trying to clearly communicate that kind of thing. Um, you know, because yeah, you say that right up front, this is going to happen later in the story. Know this now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, of course, again, because the script is a blueprint, you know, that's something you can just kind of be communicating in kind of plain language. But I think sometimes, uh, it's that, especially in, in a horror story or a story that has like this connection to horror in, uh, you know, in terms of these really clear touchstones, like, you know, Lovecraft, so as a sort of influential touchstone, um, there's just these ways in which it's, there's, it's, you've got these interesting misdirects kind of built into the script. Like it seems like things are going to go in this direction because that's a sort of thing that's maybe more standard in the samurai story, for example. But remember, this is horror. <laughs> By the time we get to you know the end, everything's going to have a very different um, uh, turn. A different and sour turn. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Now, is there um, anything you learned from the uh, first Kickstarter that you're kind of taking to the second one, either in terms of things that you know you found worked better than you expected or didn't work, or yes. just changes you're making? Absolutely. The biggest and fastest one was no more uh, uh, frivolous rewards. On the first one, I included all kinds of stuff that I will not include <laughs> going forward if I do more Kickstarters, uh, including T-shirts, uh, posters. Uh, none of that is going to happen again because shipping that stuff was an absolute nightmare. Uh, so that was the fastest thing that I learned after doing my Kickstarter was let's not do rewards like this ever again. Let's stick with just the book, uh, the digital version, of course, uh, maybe like a card or something. Uh, but even that, just just strip it down to absolute basics. And of course, um, you're going to have them tiered, I assume, in like like Kickstarter does, where you know you've got like a digital tier. I assume you're doing a print tier as well. Is that correct? Yes. And then yep. you're maybe. Um, I mean, I don't know. Have you figured out some of your possible stretch goals? Or at this point, we're talking <laughs> relatively early compared to when the thing's going to go live. But no, like, the only figured... stretch goal I have would be breaking <laughs> even. <laughs> the shipping does kill you, eh? Like uh, people. Oh, every yeah. time I, when I personally talk to you about kick, Kickstarter, is like, oh, I forgot about the shipping or. Never forget a, that's that would be a nightmare. Um, yeah. yeah, the fact that shipping has to be included in your goal is just—it's a real pain in the ass on Kickstarter. What are this is the you know crazy the the particular thing I find really interesting about even a, pro, a thing like a particular platform like Kickstarter is it really is the preparatory work is in some ways indistinguishable from the work you would do to take it to say image comics like you still are getting that art done you're still are writing the yes. script like there's so much work before you know the thing hits you know a, a point where you can take it to someone uh, oh yeah and i think i think more in fact i think it's easier to to do up a submission pitch to a publisher than it is to do up an entire kickstarter page maybe i'm wrong about that but that's my personal uh, opinion on it do you feel that um, that preparatory work is something that people under, underestimate? Like when you talk to uh, other writers? Um, I suppose so. I think you're more right about underestimating the shipping. I think that's yeah. the biggest underestimation that, that new Kickstarter creators will make. 
is not expecting everything to cost so damn much to send to another country. Well, yeah, especially another country, you know, because we're in Canada. Yeah, international, yeah. International is, is very expensive. And are you thinking ahead at this point to the next project, or are you just mired in this one at this point? Um, I would say mostly mired. I am thinking always, always about about tons of different projects. But I, I'm trying to tunnel vision myself and say, not until this one is done. And those uh, images that you're talking about, where the, like the sample page is a death kanji. So that's, of course, going to be on the Kickstarter page. Yes. Um, is there any other place that somebody can go find that uh, material? prior to the kickstarter going live um, like i said my twitter i'm definitely posting yeah. them there but i'm also posting them on webtoons um, which i assume a lot of people know what it is but don't go there all the time uh, i tend not to go unless i'm uploading to be honest uh, but that's just like a webcomic site so you can search up death kanji on there and, and they're definitely on there posting every monday until the kickstarter releases and is hellcraft still available uh, in some form how do how can people get uh, connected to that uh, well, Hellcraft, uh, it's it's a four-issue collection. The first three issues are 20 pages each. The last one is is 40 pages. So the first three issues I actually put online for free, up on that Webtoons, uh, same site that I'm posting Death Kanji at. So you can read the first three issues of it for free, or you can buy it. I have a Big Cartel page, jordanpatrickfinn.bigcartel. Uh, I also just set up a Gumroad, which I think was also my name, Jordan Patrick Finn, uh, where I'm selling the digital the pdf for for ten dollars and do you have your own core website or do you just run off these store sites no i used to but uh hosting it just became too much of a pain well, basically I, I wasn't generating enough traffic to to justify spending the uh the domain fees now i'm really interested in particularly in one aspect of death kanji which is just the death kanji itself so um, you, have, you have this sort of uh, thing wherever the character kills somebody or, ha you know, there, there's a fatality of yep. any sort. Um, the actual death kanji, you know, it, it appears over. Can you just talk a little bit about, like, one, just quickly explain what death kanji even is? And two, you know, kind of your decision to go with that. Uh, okay, well, kanji is, uh, I guess, the written form of the japanese language or one of one of the written forms of it where words are words are symbols i, I guess is the way to phrase it um and i don't know where that idea came from it just kind of sort of i don't know appeared in my head one day just the image of that appearing as like a samurai cuts through someone um i think certainly um with the way certain violent scenes are in in a lot of action comics these days, especially um, Mignola's work like Hellboy's and stuff, where uh, the page where somebody is you know punching a monster or whatever, that one panel will be all red, and I I, I just love that where the one action beat is just like alarming and, and bright and it's just red. Uh, so I, I took that sort of aspect and and applied it to a kanji so when an action beat will appear when a samurai slicing somebody boom this red kanji that's obviously not in world but it's for the reader just to to see and, and to understand that this is a violent panel well lovecraft kurosawa mignola as you know your three big influences there so <laughs> yeah. uh you know is a great pedigree uh and i hope uh 
I just want to thank you for talking to me and uh, letting us all know about this great Kickstarter, Death Kanji. I'll definitely be supporting it because you sold me at Lovecraft and Samurais. Oh, well, um, thank you. So thank you for, uh, I encourage people to do so as well. Yeah, thanks for, for having me on. It's It's been a blast. <laughs>